Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Patricia I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to an Interference Cast. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. It's great to have you. An Interference Cast is a non-clinical interruption. And if you're a usual listener, welcome back. Uh, in this episode, we have Farhan Ahmed. Now, Farhan is an awesome clinician, and he wrote this book called Unstoppable, which is a great contribution because it does so much for charity, but it's one of those books which is very much in the realms of personal development. I'm a, I'm a sucker for personal development books. I love anything in that genre of personal development. So the reason I, uh, I like this book by Ferran is that it's a personal development book, but it talks to me. It talked to me as a dentist because he is a dentist turned medic, and now he focuses on full arch implant work. Uh, and it was very inspiring. I think it's, it's something that, you know, we need to focus more on the non-clinical sometimes, be it the mindset. So what you can expect to gain from this episode is to explore a little bit about your learning style. What is your learning style? And, and really focusing on bigger picture type stuff. And one of the biggest takeaways, I think, is the power of visualization. Now, I'll let uh, Farhan do the honors and explain a bit, but, you know, the times where I use visualization is like a, a macro visualization, like bigger projects, like uh, when I'm developing the podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing things, when I do public speaking or uh, uh, lecturing or whatever, I am going to be doing some visualization in my head. I would have given that talk with my eyes closed when I'm in bed and I would have spoken to people how I'm going to look, how I'm going to say things, what I'm going to say. So a lot of times I've rehearsed things in my mind, but also like if I'm doing a surgical wisdom tooth that's just beyond my comfort zone, I will mentally rehearse that surgical procedure. Or if I'm doing anything complex, multiple crowns, things that are just stepping out of my comfort zone, I'm always rehearsing it in my mind. What could possibly go wrong? How am I going to accept the instrument from my nurse's hand? Like to those tiny little details. So one big takeaway from this episode is the power of visualization. Anyway, hope you enjoy this interference class with Farhan and let's become unstoppable. Farhan Ahmed, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, my friend. Uh, Thanks, man. We already had a little bit of a spicy intro there. So already I know (laughs) we're going to get so much value here. We talk about morning routines already. We talk about productivity. So I know it's going to be one of those amazing miles now but in a good way i mean all quite uh, positive uh, i you know i'm with you now i've seen you on on instagram i know that you fly around to different clinics and um, you you mentor them on implants and, and complex dentistry which which is amazing so tell us for those who who don't know who you are a little bit more about what drives you and your passions and we're going to get into more of it i feel like i know you already because i i, I read uh, some of your book now uh, so tell us a little about for yourself for the listeners yeah thanks jazz my name's farhan and i see myself I initially saw myself as a dentist. Then I went through a phase in my life where I saw myself as a medic and then I had kids and as a father. And then I, I've, it's a question I've been really asking myself, what do I see myself as? And I just wanted one word. And the word that came to my mind was creative. I want to be a creator. That's what I want to be known as. That's what I feel is I, I can be most closely aligned with. Yeah, I, I teach, I mentor. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother. But what is closest to my heart is someone that's that people look at me and think, yeah, he's quite creative. He's always looking to do something, innovate and create. And as I'm going into the fourth decade of my life, that's what I want to really focus on in being a creator. So, yeah, I'd love to think of me as a, as a creative or a creator. But most people know me as an implant dentist and 
I have a passion for education and training within implant dentistry. And that really stems from impact. That's one word that I think about most days, and that's impact. And what impact, you know, I ask myself the question, Ferhan, what impact are you having? What impact are you wanting? And in, in 10 years' time, what impact have you had? And the pandemic hit, eh, and it was, you know, none of us really expected it, and it changed everything. Um, it was an enforced rest at home, uh, three months, uh, and I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, you know, I'm going to make the absolute most of this opportunity. And for me, I've always felt my impact comes from the work I do. So I was a, a an implant dentist that uh, rehabilitated a lot of people with failing or uh, denture wearers, rehabilitated them and gave them fixed teeth. And really, how I felt, how can I, I ask myself the question, how could I have a bigger impact? Well, how much full arch implant dentistry can I do day in, day out? It's tiring, it's physically, mentally draining. And so I could do maybe four four cases, five cases a week. That's 20 a year, that's 240. Uh, 20 a month, 240 a year. But what if, Ferhan, what mm. if you could train a thousand dentists to get the predictability, the reproducibility, uh, the consistency that you can get with full arch implant dentistry, then the impact would be bigger. And so that's where the online program came from. That's where the one-to-one mentoring comes from. That's where the live courses aligned with it online and the community I'm trying to build within full arch implant dentistry is coming from. It's it's all based around one word, impact, that I can, from 10 years down the line, look back and think, yeah, I did all I could to have the biggest impact I could around this particular area within implant dentistry, and that's full arch implants. So yeah, impact. Being a creator, how how did it develop uh, into into that? Um, so you you went from uh, dental school to medical school. Most people who do that have got max facts in their mind. So what 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 made you opt away from the typical maxillofacial route and treating uh, oncology and and being a registrar consultant and that and then thinking, okay, you know what, I'm going to go uh, into implantology and private practice. Yeah, so I suppose it's it's the best way to look at it is uh, doors. You know, we all have a vision to get to an end point and that may be door 10 but I, I've always looked at life just taking a small step and, and just going to door two opening that door and see what happens and then opening the next door after I'm through door two settled let's see the opportunity and so when when I thought about doing medicine I was in the environment around maxillofacial consultants and they inspired me they impacted me and I wanted to be like them and so for me to be like them I had to pursue a second degree and that and that happened to be medicine and I went down to Liverpool and did a four-year postgraduate degree however I also was aware that it'd be okay not to follow that career I was okay with that because one of the other reasons I wanted to do medicine was just that seeking more knowledge to 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 be a bit different to, to just better myself and so I went down to do medicine with the proviso that yeah I could do max facts or it'd be just good to have a medical degree. It's it's never going to hold me back. It's always just going to be an advantage. It's going to make me stand out from the rest. And what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, four years have gone, but I've got a degree and it's a worthwhile degree that will just add to my dental background. So that's where the sort of medicine came. I did, and then once I finished, and I'm also one of those people, once I start, I, I, I don't stop, you know? So yeah, there were times where this, this is tough, you know, working on calls at nights, at weekends, in between 
in between all the learning that was going on, struggling with money. But I was like, no, no, I got to keep going, got to keep going. And then I come towards the end, it's a big relief. You're like, great. And then you have to kind of do the foundation years just to get the full registration onto the, the GMC, et cetera. And then an opportunity arose for me to step out of, of that journey into becoming a maxillofacial surgeon. And I had an option and I chose the option to to join a, a group of dental practices that were growing and become a partner. And that was it. So really, I was at you know door three. I went through and I had a couple of options and I chose one that involved stepping away from the training pathway to becoming a maxillofacial surgeon and uh, going towards where I would be much more independent. I'd have much more that freedom to do what I wanted and not have to fit into a system. And it was simple as that. And I look back now and and feel that it was the right decision. However, I'm also that type of person that's just optimistic and just grateful for what I have, that if I'd gone down the career of a maxillofacial surgeon, I would have I feel I would have made the most of that and I would have looked back looked back and thought, yeah, this this was the path that I was meant to follow and it, it it's all good. But at the at this moment in time, you know, I'm very fortunate for everything that I have around me and that sort of freedom to do what I want and work where I want, work with who I want and that ability to, you know, support my family. Uh, so, yeah, very grateful for that. Well, there are there are many uh, young dentists listening who who may be pursuing a full time master's or medical school could be looming just like it was for you. Uh, so, just give us a, a bit of uh, advice to those people who may be uh, pursuing a uh, MCLIN dent as well, for example, right? And that's very uh, very immersive uh, time away from family, uh, t- time away from earnings. So the LOE loss of earnings factor comes in. What advice can you give to them? You know, in your in your most darkest moment during your medical training, when your friends around you were earning and spending and holidays and that kind of stuff, uh, and you were still um, a perpetual student, that never ends. Uh, what advice can you give to those who are who are in the midst of that? Well, I, what, what I would say about that is a motto that I, I I hold dear to my heart is I always put learning before earning, and learning and upskilling and increasing your knowledge is is immensely, immensely powerful and it will never hold you back. But what I do see is, especially now within dentistry medicine, there's such an abundance of courses, training programs, qualifications. You have to be careful and make that decision wisely because it's a huge investment and not only of your time, but financial investment. But you've got to think about your return on investment and once that course is completed or once you're on that course, really, how is that going to you know, sort of propel your career forward? How are you going to utilize the skills that you've learned and really sort of push on? And I see this all the time. I've been involved in teaching and attending numerous courses and clinicians turn up to these courses ill-prepared. And what I mean, what I mean by is ill-prepared, they've not really prepped themselves on how they're going to move forward once they've learned this new skill so for instance they've they've done a bone grafting course and then they come out the bone grafting course and then they don't actually apply any of the skills the knowledge they've learned until a year later and then mm-hmm, they've mm-hmm. forgotten so you know what i say to clinicians that i work with is you've got to be continuously learning and looking to apply simultaneously otherwise it's pointless it's pointless 
to get involved in training, upskilling if you're not going to be 100%. applying it. And the application doesn't just happen on its own. It's it's active. And sometimes it's not in your control. So let's take example implants. Now, you could be most most clinicians are associates. They work in a practice and there's a principal or with a corporate. Now, the question is that practice, is that practice environment going to help you get the work in? Are they going to market for you? Are they going to build a team around you so you can support implant patients? What's the point of doing an MSc in implant dentistry if there's no plan to get patients in? You're not going to have that opportunity to reinforce the learning. And, and so really what it is, it's just sitting down and mm -hmm. planning around formal further education and how you're going to apply that. So really it's, it's about that and, and really think, taking this holistic approach to training and really thinking about a return on investment because that's what's really important. So you can fork out 50, 60,000 pounds for MSE, loss of earnings, investment in the course, but are you getting that money back and how long is it going to, is it going to take you? Otherwise, you know, please don't do it. That, that would be my advice. No, as I say, you know, whether it's a, a big program like you mentioned or if it's a, a smaller course. I mean, nowadays, uh, I mean, I did so many courses in my first five years, but nowadays um, I definitely agree with you. Before I book onto any course now, I will make sure that I have got a couple of crown lengthening patients, for example, this crown lengthening course, ready to be treated on when I come back from that course. Or if it's a um, composite course now, I'll make sure, I, like, for example, I'm looking forward to doing uh, Dr. Costas' uh, injectable composite course. But I know that once I've got three, four patients lined up who have treatment planned for that and they've agreed, the feasible will be agreed and they're ready for it, only then would I go on such a course now. So my mentality's changed a lot. Uh, whereas before I was very much exposing myself to new knowledge and stuff, uh, I think now, uh, especially with the current environment, definitely you have to um, make sure it's applicable first thing. And you, you mentioned about the whole working to learn not to earn um, I was in one scenario when I got back from Singapore where I was offered um, uh, two positions one in, in Harley Street uh, and one in, in Windsor uh, and both had you know good principles and good uh, support networks enough but I, I was told uh, I was told by my friend Biju Biju Krishnan if you want to work with this principal you will make a lot of money but if you want to work with the other principal you might not make a lot of money but you'll learn a lot more and I and I definitely picked the one to, to learn a lot more so I worked in Windsor with Dave Winkler uh, and I think it's one of my uh, you know that's why I think we're a bit quite a similar similar ethos and I, I echo that for for all young dentists uh listening uh the next question i had was uh sorry just on that note and i i couldn't agree with you more you know some mm -hmm. of the clinicians when i work with them on a one-to-one -one basis i have really frank conversations with them and i openly disclose how much i make and i openly have disclosed the history the evolution of my earnings and i've said this is what's happened mm -hmm. to my earnings over the years because I've done this, this, this. All you do is just copy that. I have invested, I've invested, and now I bear the fruits. It's a no-brainer. You know, it's not about short-term gain. It's 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 long-term sustained gain. And any, you know, yeah, people see me flying about working. That's That's choice. I'm at such a fortunate position now where I don't need to work anywhere near five days a week to have a really good life. And that's because of all the effort that I've made in the past. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app 
for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And now it's 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 purely like it's a choice. I I I, I thrive off the high-paced environment that I work in. But if you just you know sort of invest the time where the focus isn't how much am I making, what percentage am I on, and actually thinking about the people and the exposure mm-hmm. you're getting, then it will honestly it will always bear fruits if you have that sort of open mind to opportunities. You'll never regret it, never. Absolutely agreed. Um, and and I mean, on that similar theme, you you go from these posts and courses and you apply and yes, you might be uh, doing a training post like a DCT post, you're not earning as much, but you look five years later and you're earning way more potentially than your colleagues because you've been through that hardship, you've been through that struggle and you've gained that, amassed that knowledge and like you said, every opportunity to learn is one, uh, you know, from your book is, is one you should take uh, and so one of the other themes that you talk about in your, in your book is a power of visualization uh, and I really like that because uh, on a macro level, I used to even do this before I became a dentist, because uh, before even getting to dental school, that's all I wanted to be. Right? I wanted to be a dentist. That was my my, my big dream since I was age fourteen, uh, and so I used to visualize myself uh, with an offer in my hand, or visualize myself at dental school. Uh, so that's like the macro level thinking. But I also like the the mental rehearsal you mentioned in the book, whereby um, before a big procedure, I always um, close my eyes uh, and I and I jot down the, the the exact equipment I will use as and when I'll use it, so I can I can then give that to my nurse, so she knows exactly what I'm going to need at, w- at what point because I've already mentally rehearsed that you know that case that procedure uh, so I'm a big fan of that so just tell us a little about uh, bit, expand more about the power of visualization uh, in terms of yielding better results for you as a clinician really jazz is it's exactly what you've said and for me when I would particularly as you you start to take on more complex cases it becomes more important that you that you really are able to visualize everything in front of you and and almost you know I'll close my eyes or the night before a big case I'll be in bed and I'll just think about it and very, I, I mean I don't know if you've seen the Queen's Gambit where what's her name Martha Melissa uh, is that the one about chest right yep yes Yes, 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 yes. So, so she's laying down and she's seeing all the chess pieces above her. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. Yeah, I can lie in my bed and I can see the bone <laughs> because we've got we, we've worked everything out in a CBCT and we've planned it on a CBCT, and so I can yeah. see exactly what it is that I'm doing because we've got a 3D render and sometimes actually we print those 3D renders so I can actually hold the bone, and it's about closing your eyes or. Or actually, you you get you you do it so much you can do it with your eyes open. You just see it all. How you're going to create your incision and the steps you're going to go through to create your incision. What instruments you're going to have in one hand and the other, and how you're going to paint, brush the tissues, open everything up, control the hemostasis. How your assistant's going to uh, position their instruments so you've got the correct access. Be able to visualize everything. It's critical step 
especially in the learning and as you upskill in a particular procedure. Then it gets to a point where now, if I was doing simple, you know, a lot of full arch work, I don't do that. But when I'm doing anything complex or anything that I don't do on a routine basis, I go back to it. I have to have to mentally rehearse that, visualize it in front of me happening. And that's not once, that's multiple times. And back to what you sort of said is writing it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been there where I wrote every single step out, the local administrating eight cartridges of articane at this point, at this point, at this point, everything all written out. And also it's really nice to then share that written sort of rehearsed treatment protocol with the team. So they're aware of exactly each Mm -hmm. step. Because what we must remember is that we're only as good as our team, especially when we're doing big complex surgery, Mm -hmm. your assistant and other team members that are in the room need to be aware of each step because I get into this state of flow when I'm operating and I don't want anything to uh, sort of bring any sort of jeopardy to that systemic system. Disrupt that. Yeah, disrupt that Mm -hmm. flow that I'm in because it just, it can throw you off. So I don't want any disruptions. We follow the silent cockpit protocol. We have very calming music in the background and everybody knows exactly the steps involved, what their role is, and then all being well, that's that's how you execute the procedure. So that's, you know, I really can't emphasize the importance of visualization when it comes to surgical procedures. But like you sort of mentioned, it's, there's visualization professionally, but there's also personal visualization. And so I will mm. often visualize, if you look at sort of, you read books by David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, he talks about, uh, uh, he has a visualization mm-hmm. mirror, a board, that people talk about visualization boards where they take a picture of their dream house, they put it up, they, they take pictures of their dream car, they put it up, the clothes they want to wear, the holidays they want to go. And you really, if you start to look at these things every single day, then you start to believe that's where you should be. That's the house you should live. That's the holidays you should have. That's the car you should drive. And then when you start to see yourself living that life, then it's just the way the world works. You'll start to to sort of uh, follow that path that will lead you there. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So, so am I, Brian. So, so am I, and I, and I do practice it. Um, and you know, you just mentioned briefly about um, how I know. I, I told you I, I like to write it down. You said you like to write it down. I read in the book about you being, uh, you know, you like to watch videos and then write things and draw things. Uh, and so, I first realized that I am a visual learner when I realized that every time someone. Um, not Indian or, or not English, uh, mentions their name. Uh, and I'm like, wait, how do you spell that? Or, or how do you spell this? And then I, but when they spell it, in my mind, I, I, I'm sort of writing it out. And then when I have a visual mem- mental image of it, that's when I've absolutely going to etch it and, and, and uh, pronounce it perfectly from then onwards, basically. So I know I'm a visual learner, uh, a visual person in general. Um, h- how else can people figure out what kind of learning styles there are? Because because for you as an educator, um, you need to also suss out what kind of a learner someone is. But how can you assist learners in finding out what their learning style is? Because one of your you know, themes in the book and one thing I, you know, we're both very um, passionate about is the importance of lifelong education. So I think the sooner we figure out what kind of learner we are, the more empowered we can be. Yeah. So uh, sort of going back to when I really discovered learning for myself is back to university days. And 
you go through this sort of journey of discovery where you're trying to figure out the best way to learn this essay on biochemistry, physiology that you need to write, start to learn anatomy. And as soon you go through a process of trial and error, working out. And I soon realized that I was, I liked colors. I liked writing things down repetitively. I liked to uh, have big chunks of text and then start to break them down and then work out acronyms. Uh, I, I love to, I used to have a friend that I used to pair up with and a great way of learning is I would teach him something, he would teach me something back. We would stand up in front of each other and go through just describing what we'd learned over the last hour and that reinforced learning. So it's really discovering yourself, having that self-awareness and looking back because without realizing, you probably know what it is that that is the way that you learn in the bit, you know, sort of your specific uh, learning skill is uh, and, and t learning technique is, and it's just sort of taking a moment thinking, I went through university, I've done this, this is how I learned. I, di I didn't enjoy that. You know, I remember actually, now that you've, you've sort of asked this question, I used to have a tape recorder and I used to record like chapters in a book and I used to go to sleep because I don't know where I read this, but I there was this sort of, <laughs> if you can listen to something while you sleep, it sort of sinks into your brain. I don't know how true this is, but during <laughs> dental school, I recorded hours and hours of content that I would have on a tape recorder and I was walking. Uh, I, I would just play to myself with reinforce learning, reinforce my learning. I don't know how mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. that had an impact on me, but now, I mean, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an avid listener of, podcasts including your podcast podcasts in general audiobooks uh because audio is is another great way that i like to learn so the, so different ways and and it's about discovering it are you visual are you audio do you like the print or do you like to get creative with your learning where you start to record yourself saying things summarizing it but i, I another one great way to learn is I, I think this is one of the best ways to learn. I find myself, and, and when I work with other clinicians, they also find this really helpful, is, is teaching others. When, when I mm -hmm. get up in front of people and I'm giving them a lecture, one of the first things I like to say to them is, I want three takeaways. I want, after, after we finish this stint of uh, teaching, I want you to take away three things and I want you to write them out and I'll ask you at the end. At the end. So three takeaways from this, mm -hmm. uh, from this lecture. The other thing I, I like to say is you have to approach this learning as if you're going to teach it to someone else in 48 hours. And what that does, it, it deepens our understanding and our, 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 mm -hmm. our concentration mm -hmm. during that period. When we approach it in that manner where the thought process, I'm going to have to teach this to someone else. And how would I do that? And then go and do that. And I think that's very powerful. So th these are some of the things that I, I, I sort of bring up when I'm, I'm lecturing, uh, when I'm uh, lecturing, teaching other clinicians that this is the type of approach. But it, it is discovery, it's self-awareness, and it's, it's trial and error, it's reflecting what works because we all are individual and I really believe learning should be personalized. And it's my responsibility as an educator to understand 
the clinicians I'm working with, how it is that they learn, or it's my responsibility to help them discover how it is that they learn. Because you can be a phenomenal clinician, mm -hmm. surgeon, whatever it is that you do, but you can be a poor educator. And I think there are two different roles. It's not that they can't be aligned. Absolutely, they can be aligned. But they're two different skills. And uh, that's my approach to it. You, you mentioned you listen to the uh, podcast as well. Uh, do you do this thing, which I do, where I listen to the podcast at, at two times uh, normal speed or 2.2 times? Um, have you, uh, you know, is that the kind of thing that you practice as well? 100%. Absolutely, because what that allows you to do is listen to the double the amount of content. So I drive a lot. And when I say I drive a lot, I do about mm -hmm. forty to 45,000 miles on the road every year. So I drive a lot. I get through a mm -hmm. lot of audiobooks. I get through a lot of podcasts. And I listen to them at... Driving university. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you, you're, you, it's really amazing how you're mind your listening capacity becomes quickly trained to listening to audiobooks through audible or podcasts at two two and a half speed and actually my online modules yeah, but the first time you do it it's like what the hell is this but then it becomes so easy and now i'm creeping up more and more and more and, and still now when i listen to people speak they're like why are you speaking so slowly but everything because every, yeah. i'm so used to listening at two times that everyone else seems really slow yeah no i i think it's I think it's really worthwhile and it's amazing how quickly you adapt to listening to things at two, two and a half speed. What's funny is sometimes I've had a passenger in my car and uh, I'm listening to a podcast because I, I don't mind who's in the car. I was like, yeah, I'm listening to this. I'm going to finish it off. And then they're like, I can't, I can't make mm -hmm. sense of it. I was like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll get used to it. <laughs> gibberish. You'll get used to it. Yeah. It's gibberish. You're like, how do you understand that? I was like, yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that's my, uh, my my wife's the same when she's in the car. Actually, uh, it is, it is, and you pick it up. So that for those of you listening to this podcast right now, come on, crank it up already. Go to two times, yeah. you'll get through yes. more episodes. I promise you that. Um, yeah. I, I only got through to uh, up to about chapter four in your book. So I want you to say uh, of the rest of the chapters, what is the, the a big takeaway, a big lesson, or something that you're really passionate about in the rest of the book? Because I, I covered a few of the themes that you talk about in the book already. What is the main uh, takeaway message that you want to get? dentist to know that you've covered in the book that you think would really be impactful for those listening now the, the, the main message of the whole book is is the title it's being unstoppable and for that it, it for me that means having this inner drive which is so deep and consistent that you keep going regardless of challenges and it's striving for those goals and dreams that you have so that's sort of the main theme and the reason why i've sort of a the message behind the book and it was created because for me there's different ways I can feel I can have impact and I just I had this opportunity you know when I, when the student appears when the, the student uh, is ready the teacher appears that famous saying so I, I didn't realize I had a book in me but I, I encountered an opportunity and someone was there to help guide me and 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 bring it to fruition. In terms of other themes through the book that I've that, that you're going to come on to. One is mentorship and having mentors and heroes. I am very fortunate mm -hmm. that in my life, my career, not just from school, but all the way up to today, I have had people that have been profoundly influential in my career and have allowed me to, 
to become the clinician I am today. And for them, for to them, I am forever grateful. I wouldn't be here without their guidance, their support uh, and mentorship and having heroes in your life. So people that you look up to, maybe they're, they're not, you're not, you mm-hmm. don't have a d- direct link to them, but you look up to them, you're inspired by them and you look at them and, and think to yourself, yeah, mm-hmm. I can, I can strive to be, to get to that level because that we need those types of people in our life too. So I think that's a really important aspect. And then the final chapter talks about charity. And that's something that's very close to my heart. Back in 2014, a, a group of colleagues set up Dental Aid Network. They're friends based around where I grew up in Glasgow. Uh, a lot of us were at dental school together. And the, the, the sort of aim of the charity was to help children in conflict areas with basic dental care and so we've led numerous missions to Africa, Middle East, Asia where we treat people that really wouldn't have access to basic dental care and when it comes to charity I think it's so important to be able to give back not only give back when you get to a certain level and help people along the way I think that's important but charity where we're giving back and helping those less fortunate as de- as dentists, we're in a, a really privileged position, comfortable, earn well. Uh, it's important to give back. And one of the, the sort of aims of the book is to hopefully raise my target is £50,000. Sell that I need to sell around 10,000 copies of the book. And I'm hoping to build a dental clinic in Kashmir so it can provide basic dental wow. care for... Uh, a community of children in in a particular area. So I think charity, mentorship, is two themes that you're going to... Mate, that is absolutely brilliant. So, I mean, yeah, again, about impact. I I, I just wanted to say, Fran, before you continue, just just on that message, um, you know, it would be great if you can achieve, and I think you will, you will achieve that number Thank because that's such a, a wonderful thing. If you, if you could do that, to build that dental school in, in Kashmir, it's a wow, wonderful thought to be able to do that. And I just want to say for the, for, the, for those who maybe um, are new to this book or, you know, I, I know it's launching soon at the time of recording. I know it's uh, launching soon. But one thing I, I liked about it was that there people, there's, there are people who talk about motivation. There are people who talk about um, uh, visualization. So, you know, I, I, I'm already attuned to that. But coming from you, Someone who's walked the same path that I walked before, coming from a, a, a dentist, a wet-fingered practitioner, it, it, it made it much more relatable. And then you have these sort of uh, comparisons to, to actually real-life dental scenarios. So that made it um, come much more uh, to the surface for me. So that's why I'd recommend that book to all the dentists uh, listening right now. Uh, and, of course, with, with, this, with an amazing aim that you have here, um, you, you should, yeah, everyone should be rushing out to get this. Uh, and, and I will put the Amazon link uh, on, on the blog post uh, as well for sure. Wonderful. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I would love, love to to hit that target and build the dental clinic. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's about sort of, again, back to that one word impact where I've, I've mean, managed to create a piece of written work. If that can then go and help other people and it can be a lasting legacy where the impact is ongoing it's consistent and it's hopefully talked about it's all the all the the more rewarding for me and and i'm hoping that it will then spur me on to do more and more i I, will like anything when we're pushing ourselves trying to be as creative as possible we 
rely on people accepting the, the what we're putting out and what we're doing. The clinicians I teach, you know, I I I I want feedback from them that I'm doing a good job, that I'm I'm making a difference, that I've had an impact on them for them to upskill and uh, sort of do the work that that I'd planned to teach them and, and they're doing it independently. That's massively important because then that sort of pushes me to do more, uh, to become more myself. And so it's a two-way process where the teaching side, it's two-way. I rely on the clinicians I work with to spur me on to, to be better. And then in terms of the what I'm trying to create through written or through audio or through pictures, I rely on feedback from other people to see what works, what doesn't work, how I can change things to have that bigger impact. I think that's really uh, really important to me. How do you plan to reward yourself? Because one of the things you talked about was, uh, yeah, we do all this visualization, mental rehearsal, but then when you actually when you actually achieve something, okay, after you've rehearsed it, uh, sometimes I've been guilty of not uh, rewarding myself, whatever, and I'm slowly working on that. But uh, how do you intend to reward yourself once you get the launch out? Uh, because it takes a lot of work to, to to produce something like this. Yeah, probably I don't. I think it is important to reward yourself, but I just, you know, sort of going back, I probably what I'd say is good. You know, for, I, I talk to myself and I'd say, well done, that's good, that's done, what's next? And if you've read any of the books by Tim Glover, Unrelentless, and so Tim Glover, if you've not heard of him, is the guy that coached Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. He's got a new book out. Cool. I, I forgot what it's called, but he's got one book called Unrelentless. I'm pretty sure it's called Unrelentless. And it's a phenomenal read. And it's like what he said about Kobe and Michael Jordan really resonated with me. They'd work their socks off. They'd win the, the NBA that year. They'd get the ring and then they'd be like, right, okay, I'm after number six. And then I'm after number seven. And so for me, it's like saying to myself, yeah, that's great. You, you, you've built a community of 100 implant dentists that you're working with. You've The book's in print. It's being launched. For me, it's what's next. It's what's next. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, tell, I, I say, yeah, great for her. That's cool. You know, you know I, I say, well done. That's an achievement. But for me, it's always what's next. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not one of those, like, oh, I, I, I should take some time off. I should, you know, buy myself something nice. That doesn't do it for me. It's, it's for me, it's what's next. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I suppose the reward really would be is coming up with something better next time and, and being able to push myself to be better continuously. That's my, that, that would be my reward where I've built something right. So how am I adding to that? How's it, how am I going to make this better next time? How am I going to create something bigger? That's really what sort of uh, drives mm-hmm. me uh, and and that's that's mm-hmm. my reward is if I'm able to do something better next time. Brilliant. Now I know you're into really into your books as well as am I and all the audio books you listen to. In fact, funny enough, we, uh, when I was reading about visualization, I was preparing a, a, a quote to share with everyone here. Uh, as I turned the page, that exact same quote was was the one you had on the top of that chapter okay. ready, which was um, everything is uh, created twice, first in the mind and then in reality by Stephen Covey. So I was, uh, I was really glad you, you shared that. Uh, but tell us about uh, your favorite, because I've got a section on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the website for, for books and whatnot. Uh, just shout out some of your uh, favorite books. So you mentioned about the, um, Hal Elrond's book, The Miracle Morning. Uh, we, you know, obviously, we can also do a, a shout out to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People since you got yeah. Stephen Covey's coat there. You yeah. mentioned Unrelentless. What are your other favorite books to, to drive us? Okay, so Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, absolute classic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I've got a pile of books 
books here. I love uh, Tim Ferriss. I've got the Four Hour Work Week there. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenal book. You need you need to let me go into my Audible and and remind myself. <laughs> All right. While you're doing that, then my last question was going to be: While you're doing that, uh, is um, just tell us, uh, just so you can think about it, is uh, you got a whole bit on communication with patients in there. We haven't really touched on that theme, so I'd uh-huh. like to get from you, extract from you, your biggest uh, communication tip um, that you can share with us. I think empathy is mm-hmm. absolutely crucial, especially in our line of work as clinicians, where you step back and really try to understand your patients, why it is that they've come to you and what it is they really want. It's not white teeth. It's not uh, straight teeth. It's not, what do patients come in? It's not, patients are there for a reason and it's more than just white teeth, straight teeth. Uh, shiny teeth, whatever it is, patients want confidence. They want the ability, they want comfort, they want confidence. Uh, They want to be able to, often a lot of the patients I'm managing, they want to have function, so eat with comfort. And it's Mm -hmm. empathising towards patients about the difficulties that they're going through with their dentition, which is really uh, such a crucial part of the face, the smile, and it's really trying to understand patients when it comes to uh, them presenting in, the, in, in your clinics. So I, I think that is absolutely crucial. So having that empathy and, and being able to gain your patient's trust. And that, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard initially as, as you're a young practitioner, upskilling, uh, gaining experience, uh, but it comes and it's something that you need to work on, reflect on, and always look to improve and evolve, but gaining patients trust. And then when mm-hmm. you, when they trust you, you know, that's really when the magic happens. When patients come in and I just, you know, after years and years of, of having patient interactions, it's such a relaxed part of the work I do where I can just sit there, relaxed, give the patient a smile and just go, how can I help you? Or what can I help you with? Mm. Or, or I understand that this is a problem. How is it that I can help you with that? And it's nice to be in a really kind of calm, comfortable place internally as a clinician when you're having that conversation with patients. And it's hard to describe it and, and, and say what it is that changes, but something happens when you start to develop that and it becomes that that's the clinician you become. And then, Patients sense that. Patients sense the comfort and the, the peace that you're internally, sort of that what's going on inside you when it comes to that conversation. They sense that. I don't know what it is, but they sense it. And when they sense, they like that mm-hmm, sense mm-hmm. that this clinician is putting me at ease. He's understanding. He's empathizing. I trust this guy. And then they're like, yeah. And when they trust you, they accept your treatment plan. They accept your advice. And then you that's this, the start of a real strong patient-clinician relationship. And that's what we want. Because at the end of the day, we can never predict mm-hmm. how treatment's going to, with, with 100% certainty, how the treatment's going to go. But if you have that trust, then patients are much more accepting of potential uh, hiccups that can occur during that journey. Now, let me see where 
that. Whenever I think of trust, before you get that out, whenever I think of trust, I remember uh, something like Raj Ratan, my old, uh, my old uh, training program director during DF1, taught us about trust. And it's interesting thing, he said, trust with patience, you earn it in little drops. So you earn it in drops. But when you lose it, you lose it in buckets. It's one of those things, basically. So uh, you, you have to keep working, keep earning that trust. Uh, and with some patients who are more trusting, yes, it's easier. Others, you just have to, you know, everything about you, the environment you're in, the way you present yourself, the, the voice tone that you produce, the confidence that you have in yourself. And it's not like egotistical or overconfidence. It's just like, reassuring the patient that you know what you're in safe hands and and we will we care and i and and on that topic of care while you're, while you're just getting those books out is what i like was them that you still get nervous before uh big um procedures because and, and you talk about this because um same here right when i'm doing multiple preps or uh, big large provisionals and stuff uh very different the nature of what you're doing uh but i still get a little bit nervous and the reason we get nervous farhan is because we generally care about the person at the end of that treatment and we want them to have a good result. So it, like you said, the day you stop getting nervous is the day you might stop working because um, that's when you, you maybe you've lost that sort of feeling, that connection. So it's, it's, it's important to have that human, uh, human side about you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The response, you know, I, I will never lose something and that's the trust that patients put in me every day to uh, inject them to cut them open to drill away their bone to start drilling into their bone to screw in metal uh, screws into their jaw mm -hmm. that's hell of a lot of trust and it's easy to to forget that really easy to forget that because we're we're, we're just getting to this circle and we're just on repeat all the time but it's a big thing for a patient to come in sit down open their mouth and go that's fine you know dr Ahmed, you just crack on that's a big big mm. uh responsibility that we have as clinicians when patients do that and we must never never forget that and it's an honor it really is when patients trust us like that and i think it's something that we we need to step back and and think about on a regular basis uh so yeah mm -hmm. so and and sort of going back to the nerves and and even when i'm doing sort of straightforward treatment i still i'm like right I'm here. I've got to perform. I've got to do my best, and and I yep, often yep. often say that to the team in the morning. If we've got a busy day of surgery ahead, said you know one, I'm I'm not doing this on my own. We all need to perform here. We're going to do our absolute best, and so we start the day with a with a with a team huddled discussing this, and and often say talking about actually how lucky we are to be doing this type of work, and the trust that patients have with us, and it's not just me; it's the whole team. And then at the end of the day, reflecting on the work and, and that meeting to the team, you know, thanks a lot for everything because I couldn't have done it without you. And we've done a lot of mm -hmm. good work today. And and if I go back to, I, I did a couple of cases with a colleague in London on Saturday and the first patient was a denture wearer, 90 year old denture wearer. And she came in and we raised the flap, put in four implants, gave her a fixed set of teeth. And we changed her life. The second patient came in with a failing dentition. We took out our teeth. We put in four implants. We gave her fixed teeth. And we changed her life. And I said at the end of the mm -hmm. day to the two girls, the nurses that were working with us, I said, you know, we've done some immense work today. And you two should be really proud. We've changed lives. And don't forget that this is not anything to be taken lightly. 
This is life-changing treatment and you had a big part in this. So thank you. That's a really good way to put it. And I'm very fortunate. I'm fortunate for the people that taught me to be able to do the work I do. And I feel fortunate that I can do it now and teach others. And, and I hope mm -hmm. I never forget that because it's a privileged position to be in. So if on to, on to books, I, I managed, although yes, I managed please. to lock myself out in my audible, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, so I'll give, I'll give two books that actually I, I talk about on a regular basis. Yes. Uh, the first one is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Phenomenal, phenomenal book because it's our habits that really set the tone for who we are and who we become. And it's having the good habits and James Clear does it, presents it beautifully in his book, Atomic Habits. I also encourage you to subscribe to his newsletter, which comes out every week. And it's three to one, three thoughts from himself, two thoughts from others, and one question he asks you. It's phenomenal. I always look forward to it every week. And it's all based around his book, Atomic Habits. And it really helps you mm -hmm. sort of create these good habits into your life and, and the best way to go about it. And 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 these habits absolutely then lead to the, hopefully the life that you want to create for yourself. The other book that that I wish I'd read when I was fifteen is Rich Dad Poor Dad, and it is Robert mm -hmm. Kiyosaki, and the importance of yep. being financially aware and financially conscious. And he talks about passive income, investing, and and I've I've I read this. It's two years ago. And it's been immensely uh, rewarding. It's been the best sort of seven ninety nine I've ever spent. <laughs> yeah, I read that in my uh, late teens, and you're right; it's a huge impact that book has on you. Well, I only read it into my late thirties, and I honestly read that book and thought, "Where have you been?" It's been out for like twenty years. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Where's this book mm -hmm. been? Why didn't I read it before? I wish I'd read it earlier." I really feel I'd be set and. You know, I'm very comfortable. I'm not complaining, but I'd be really set uh, financially if I'd read this book earlier. And so for, for young clinicians out there, I think it's important to be uh, financially savvy, uh, plan for the future, invest and save. And that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was instrumental in me changing my uh, financial... I might have to read it again now. You know, you, you inspired me to, to read it again, I think. Yeah, it, 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 it was it was brilliant it was brilliant and uh, so there are two, two, two books but yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an absolute junkie for uh, for books and, and always looking for recommendations and I follow you know sort of podcast wise I'm a big fan of, of podcasts yours of course number one but then there's a podcast by a Tim Ferriss Srinivas Rao there's Shane Parrish uh, Gary V. I mean, these guys, Gary v, yeah. I, I, I listen to religiously on a weekly basis. With, with so much commuting, you you have the, the luxury of having so many different podcasts yeah. and stuff and books you can listen to. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's, it's had a, an immense impact on my life. Uh, all, all these, these podcasts, li listening to these individuals mm. and, and learning from them. And back to a, a book and the power of a book, it, it's amazing the value you can you get from a book that's maybe ten ninety nine, twelve ninety nine, or seven ninety nine in Audible, it's it's the best. How much is yours? Pound for pound, I think it's thirteen ninety nine on Amazon. Man, 
That's so if you're a, if you're a young dentist or any dentist, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, all the profits go to uh, Dan. Not, nothing to all that all the, that comes away from the thirteen ninety nine is the cost of printing the book. The rest all goes yeah. uh, to to building this dental clinic in Kashmir. Hopefully. So, Amazing. Yeah, I, I hope you all the all the best success with that. And uh, guys, if you, if you're listening and uh, you've been inspired by uh, Fahan's tips and, and you want to uh, uh, check out the book, uh, I hope you bring it out an audio book, man. I think you should because you listen to so much audio book. You should totally uh, bring it out an audio book. Yeah. So it's go- it, that that that's in process. I will bring it an audio, but it's available. Amazing. It, it's going to be available in Kindle, and then I'll bring out an audio book where the, you get to hear my sh- Scottish accent, and I I will. Uh, lovely I will I will read the book out excellent well mate thanks so much for coming on uh, and, and I wish you all the best with that because it's a, it, it's a great little thing for, for us you know clinicians to to have someone to look up to like you to to, to share those uh, similar themes that we might have heard before but in a way that's so relevant to us and I like even reading about your your background and uh, your ups and downs medical school and how you come out the other side what inspired you your family and stuff so again uh, thanks so much for, for, for sending that over uh, and, and, and great for you to share so many gems today uh, on, on this episode uh, and uh, I look forward to meeting in real life one day yes i hope so i look forward to it thank you so much thank you for your time thank you for having me on thank you so much for listening all the way to the end hope you found some value from that Fahan. thanks so much buddy for, for coming on uh this book being unstoppable is something you should totally get because it's just so much for charity uh, and also there's a lot of great stuff in here for all clinicians that we can learn from and implement this episode was just a small flavor of what you can get from this book please do share it with a friend if you found it helpful and i'll catch you in the next episode same time same place Oh,